On this side of heaven, it is often hard to speak in universals. Unless you're talking about something like hard math, it is hard to say the words every and all because it always seems like there's some sort of nuance or some sort of exception that needs to be made when you're trying to describe things. You can speak in generalities often, but not always universals. And so when the Bible speaks in universals, it is certainly a time then to listen, to perk up, to say, what's going on here? We actually get universals in all three readings today. You can go back and try and find them all, no pun intended, if you want. Matthew 22:40. however, this is the one that stuck out to me at first on these two. The greatest commandments, the love of God and the love of neighbor, depend or hang on all the law and the prophets. Now, when Jesus uses the term law and prophets, this is a technical term for the Old Testament. The law, the first five books of Moses, and the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament. On the love of God, And the love of neighbor hang the entire Old Testament. Think about that. Now, it might make sense when you think about the Ten Commandments, for instance, the moral law. That the love of God and the love of neighbor, that's a summary of the moral law. But there's a lot more in the Old Testament, in the law and the prophets, than just the moral law. There's histories. And there's genealogies. And there's also, especially what I want to think about today, other kind of weird laws or what we call ritual or ceremonial laws. And so we could ask ourselves, how does the requirement in the Old Testament not to eat shellfish, how does that hang on or depend on the love of God and the love of neighbor, the two great commandments? Or how does not boiling a goat in its mother's milk That one seems rather obscure. How does that depend or hang on the love of God and the love of neighbor? I think the point is this, that loving God and loving your neighbor, those things take place in a real context, with real people, with a real history, living real lives. The Lord shows the Israelites how to love God, not just in an abstract way or in a general sense, not just in a purely even moral sense, but how to love God and love their neighbor in every single aspect of their lives, down to the way they eat and the way they even cook their food. And so you can think about Then, trying to run that through, how does not eating shellfish love God or love their neighbor? Well, if you go back to the context, back to those people's context in that time, it's not the same for ours. But it was to set them apart from the surrounding nations. The pagans ate the shellfish, and so the Christians did not. Or you can sometimes see concepts of loving God and loving your neighbor within some of those ritual laws. 
not boiling a goat in its mother's milk. That's kind of an odd thing, but it does show this principle that you should not take that which is meant to preserve and to promote life and use it for death. And that's a good, loving principle. Real life, real people, real history, real context in how to love God and how to love neighbor. Now, 1 Corinthians 1 is similar in this in the way that it uses universals. Paul says in every way, in every way, everything in your life, you are enriched in him in all speech. And everything that you say and all the ideas, the, the word there for speech is logos. It's a word or a speech or an idea in everything in your life. And in all knowledge, you are enriched by the grace of Christ. And I think the reason that Paul can use universals is the same way that Jesus uses the universals. Is because the grace of Christ... The knowledge of Christ, both his law and his gospel, all of it affects every single aspect of our lives, every single aspect of the Corinthians lives. And if you go on and you read the rest of the book of first Corinthians, you'll see this. Paul starts out with this in the beginning of the book, and then he goes on to address Mostly for the rest of the book, very practical, everyday life issues of the Corinthian church. We are real people. They were real people in a real context, with a real history, with real situations in front of them. And they had to learn how to love God and love their neighbor and how the grace of Christ affected all of that. And so we must also, today, ask ourselves, how does God teach us, by the love of God and by the love of neighbor and by the grace of Christ, how does he teach us to live all of life? Not just an aspect of life, not just on Sunday mornings, but all of life and everything that we do. Now, there is a mistake that can be made in trying to put Christ in all of life. And that is the way that the Pharisees do it. So the Pharisees took these rules. They took these ritual laws about shellfish and boiling goats and not working on the Sabbath and all the rest of it. And they came up with a system to try and claim that they were living a total Christian life. But it wasn't exactly that way, was it? When they came up with the system, it was more of a checklist system that if I only do these things, then I can check it off, and that way I know that my life is Christian, or I know that my life is the proper way of Second Temple Judaism, as the case may be. Now today, people still try and be Pharisees, but of course our Pharisaism is not just like that old Pharisaism. Today, to be a quote-unquote good Christian who lives a quote-unquote good Christian life, it doesn't have to do with strict interpretations of eating shellfish and cooking goats. 
But it is a system. A system where someone says in their mind, I'm going to behave the way that good society, whatever that means, and good Christianity, whatever that means, has kind of agreed in a vague way that is good. Whatever that looks like. Maybe it means going to church about once a month. It probably means keeping your mouth shut about anything that's too politically extreme. Maybe it means having exactly 2.5 kids, making sure that they have some Bible names thrown in there and that their names are on the church roster or something like that. The problem with that, or at least one problem with that, is that it's a moving target. Political extremes are moving targets. Whatever people consider good Christianity and good society to be, they're moving targets. And the system always seems to be changing. You can actually look at that with the Pharisees, too, that the Pharisees of old, their system changed over time. But to this, Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on the love of God and love of neighbor. So we should not ask, what checklist can I come up with to be a good Christian in a good society? We should ask at the end of the day, what is the true love of God and the love of neighbor in my place, in my history, in my people, in my everyday life? And so we can say, yes, looking at the way that they did it in the Old Testament, sure, we are free from the laws about eating shellfish. But I would say it is okay to ask, how can I love God with the way that I eat my food and what I eat? And I would dare to say it is more God-pleasing to cook real food with your family or your friends and to spend time eating maybe a home-cooked meal, but at least maybe a moderately healthy meal around a table talking to one another rather than scarfing down processed food in front of a Netflix screen. One is more God-pleasing. And I'm not saying the latter is an outright sin. Maybe there is a time for it here and there. But I am saying that God wanted his people to look different than the world looks. And sure, we are free from boiling goats in mother's milk, But it is okay to ask the question, is there anything in our culture which is taking that which is meant to promote life and using it for death? And I think giving hormones to someone to help them transition away from their God-given sex definitely falls into that category. And the thing is, with those examples, is that the Bible does not ever explicitly address something like home-cooked meals, and it doesn't explicitly address transgenderism. It does implicitly, don't get me wrong. But that gets us back to the point that Jesus and Paul, they speak in universals. The love of God and the love of neighbor and the grace of Christ, they affect all things. And we have to think through every aspect of our lives, the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, 
even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Paul is certain that not only the love of God and the love of neighbor, but also the person of Christ himself, who has perfectly fulfilled that law on your behalf, taking your sin into his righteous self to give you his righteousness. He is certain that the more we learn about him, the closer we grow in him and are sanctified in him, all of our life, all of our speech, all of our ideas, all of our knowledge will be formed by him. Hear this line again. As the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Confirmation, it's one of those weird things that Lutherans do that make people ask, are you just weird Roman Catholics? Which, of course, the answer is no. And I'll admit that confirmation does have kind of an odd history. But if confirmation means anything, let it at least mean what Paul says here when he talks about being confirmed. That the testimony, that is the confession about what Jesus did, or literally the martyrdom of Jesus, it is secured. It is ratified in you, in your person. That as you are taught, as you grow in the faith, as you learn what it is that Jesus taught, who he was, what he did for you on the cross, and what he teaches in all that he commands, as that is confirmed in you, secured in you, ratified in you, that changes who you are. And it changes your whole life. And so Paul and Allison today are receiving a great gift because they have been taught the way of Christ. They have been taught what it is that the church has confessed for centuries, and they have been taught, most importantly, the testimony of Jesus Christ himself. And that is working in you, not just in Paul and in Allison, but in all of you who hear the word of Christ today. And so it is that as we are sanctified in this way, growing in the love of God, growing in the love of neighbor, and growing especially in the grace of Christ who keeps us guiltless, he continues to forgive our sins. He continues to love us and drive us back to the cross. He will keep us as we learn how to live all of our life, every aspect, in every way, to his glory until the day that he returns. So to him be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen.